but if you'd like to, the Bible, today you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Today we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to spend all of our time mainly in verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We'll start here with King James. We'll come back with NIV here in just a little bit. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If you guys kind of will track with me just a little bit, what was our answer last week? Do you remember? Three letters. Sin, right? We had a really, it's hard, those are hard messages for me. I think for some people they come really easy. For me they don't. I don't like laying into that topic like that. But the scriptures are very clear about that, aren't they, right? Even on Wednesday night, we saw the idea of the wrath of God was still present in our study there. Uh, and we see even again today, as we're kind of transitioning into the idea of grace, that you see the bad news is the wrath, right? So the gospel is the good news, but you don't have the good news unless you first understand the bad news, right? And so that's kind of where we're going to track through here uh, today, is we're going to make our way through this idea of the bad news into the good news, the idea of grace. I think probably a lot of us had lessons on grace when we were growing up in Sunday school, but here's what I want to say today to you. I don't think you really get grace until you mess up. Anybody here messed up before? Right? If you've messed up ever, uh, really blown something your parents wanted you to do, or if at work you messed up something in a big way, those are, can be really scary times, right? But those are also times when grace seems to really be able uh, to shine through. And so I think when you realize what a mess you are in and that God loves you in spite of your mess, then you start to understand grace. And here's what's more, and here's a good test for all of us today, that's when you start to be more gracious to others. If you're sitting around today and it's still very easy for you to judge everyone around you, I think you've got some work to do. And if I do that, I've got some work to do. Because when I begin to really comprehend grace, I stop judging other people and let the Lord judge them. So let's take a look at one of the defining passages today 
on grace. My first question for you this morning is, are you spiritually alive? Are you spiritually alive? Everyone is spiritually dead until they are changed by Christ. And so the question this morning is, have you been changed? I'll read this quote from Stephen Curtis Chapman. He says, in the gospel, we discover we are far worse off than we thought and far more loved than we ever dreamed. Isn't that good? We're far worse off and far more loved than we ever dreamed. This morning, I want you to kind of think with me the idea of change. You should be able to have an example of a makeover in your life if the Lord has saved you. You know what I mean by that? Any of you like makeover shows? Move that bus. Right? You see the, the, the house and you go this crummy little torn down whatever, and then they would work their magic, right? And they move the bus away. You're like, whoa, right? Or maybe you like the spring or the fall season where they'll do the makeovers with uh, people in their outfits, right? And they change their hair and all that kind of thing. Don't you like to see an old and a new, right? Uh, one of the crazy things I was watching this summer was power washing I don't know what it is. I get some really weird, strange joy out of watching something that was completely messed up, and they all power wash that thing, and you watch it in high speed, and you're like, that is amazing, right? Change. Here's what I want to talk to you today about the grace of God. When you've encountered the grace of God, you are changed. Did you hear what I'm saying? You are, the change comes and acts on you. You're not changing yourself. You are changed. And here's what all of us need to wrestle with today, and hopefully that you've come to this place, but if you haven't, this is the, the great time for you to make this decision. When you came and encountered Christ, do you have a before and after picture? Is the, if the only difference in you is that you got wet, you got dunked in a baptistry, but you're living the same life and you have the same passions and the same desires that you did before that you got dunked in the baptistry, you've not encountered grace. I'm just going to be real clear and lay it out there, okay? Uh, one of my favorite singers, her name is Kim Walker, and she has this song about, it's called How He Loves, and she does a little uh, dialogue in the middle of this song, and she says, if you've experienced the love of God, you would know. Isn't that right? It's not like, well, I wonder if I knew, or maybe I did. I'm not sure. If you've experienced the love of God, you would know because it changes you and you are never the same. You are never the same if you have experienced the love and the grace of God. And so today we want to look again a little bit at this idea of change. So let's start this morning with spiritually dead. I don't think we have slides this morning, so you guys have to work a little harder, and I'll try to be a little bit better to make sure we're all together, okay? First thing I want you to think about this morning is being spiritually dead. Look back, if you would, at verse 1. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. If you look at the passage, you see how Paul starts out? He addresses them as you, doesn't he, right? 
You were, you were. But then as he makes his way to what used to be, what is he saying? We were, right? We were. Again, Paul is very careful. And if anybody had an opportunity to be judgmental, it would be Paul. But he is identifying himself in those that were changed. Here again this morning, it's like we talked about last week. Good people are dead in trespasses and sins if they have not encountered the grace of God. They're dead. They're dead in trespasses. What is trespasses? What's it mean to trespass? Do we have any trespassers here? In the good old days, you went to go fishing somewhere, but it was private property, but you knew there were good fish in that pond, you might trespass. Or you knew there was a big white-tailed buck on that property, you might trespass. And you might also encounter a homeowner with a nice <laughs> utility to help you not trespass, right? Trespassing, really here the idea is the idea of committing or crossing over. It's that idea of sin where we do something that we know we're not supposed to do, right? There's a whole idea, a whole list of the scriptures that tell us these are the things that you should not do. When you do those things, you are trespassing. Again, spiritually dead people have trespassed. This other word that's used here is sin, and here sin is more the idea that we're traditionally familiar with, and that's the idea of missing the mark, right? You have a target, you shoot the arrow, you miss the mark, this is the idea of the omission type of sins. What are some omission sins? God calls you to do something, and you say, no, I'd rather do this. Okay? It may be going to a nursing home. It may be feeding the homeless. It may be visiting your neighbor. And you're like, well, I know the Lord wants me to do that, but today I just want to do me. Right? Those are those kind of sins of omission. And what Paul shares here is that we were all in that boat. We're with, with me just for a second. Think about what it means to be dead. We know the famous phrase, dead men tell no tales, right? <laughs> dead people do not see or hear or understand. Again, thinking of spiritually dead. Dead people don't seek to be a better person. They are in the morgue. There are some people, uh, even in churches and even in colleges and universities, who may have great intellect, they may be super smart, but they miss out on key parts of the scriptures because they are not spiritually alive. How many of you are a little intimidated in school culture or university or academic culture? Anybody? Raise your hand. Just one person in the whole room? Everybody else is like, throw me in. I can, I can go head to head with anybody. I am super smart. I don't know about you, but I get a little nervous around super smart people. People that I think have really studied and really seem to have done well academically and they have a lot of knowledge. I kind of like, I kind of want to shy back. I don't want to open my mouth. I'm afraid they might expose the lack of my knowledge, right? But here's a truth that I think you need to step forward with. Just because someone is a professor or has a degree does not mean that they are spiritually alive. And a spiritually dead person cannot, cannot understand this book. Everybody hear me? They can tell you the history. They can tell the culture. They can break down the verb tenses. They can do some diagramming in Greek or in Hebrew. 
But unless they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they will not understand this book. Can I say something to all of you again here today? Unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not understand this book. Some of you, and some of you have testified to this before, like you had people trying to invite you to church or people maybe sharing the scriptures, and you're like, this doesn't make sense, and I don't believe this, and that can't be. And then when the Holy Spirit came and changed your heart, what happened to your mind as you read the scriptures? They come alive, don't they, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh, this makes sense. On Wednesday night we're looking at the crucifixion, and we're looking at the uh, back to the Old Testament passages. And it, it just, in my mind, I'm like, how can people not trust the word of God? When you read Psalm 22, and it starts with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And those were the words of Jesus on the cross. And we saw on the cross the soldiers, when they tear down Jesus' clothes, they rip him into four pieces because there are four soldiers, but there's one undergarment, and they didn't want to rip the undergarment, so they cast lots. Well, in Psalm 22, what does it say? They divided my clothes, and they cast lots for my garment. Over a thousand years before it happened, word for word, for people who had no idea that they were part of God's story. The Word of God is true. But when you encounter the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden it's like, you can see it. So be careful taking all of your spiritual knowledge from people who have not been awakened by grace. Okay? And just so you know, I'm not making it up. If you want to turn there, you can. I'll give you just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. First Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 14, this is a powerful scripture about being able to understand God's truth with God's spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Bible says, The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Is that tracking with you this morning, right? Oh, I don't know why those people go to church on Sundays. That's so ridiculous. They could be having so much more fun, or they could be so much more effective. They could be making a big difference. Well, why do they just keep going to church? What does this deal with someone having to die on a cross anyways, right? How does that really help any of us? It, it's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. And to the person that has not been changed by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make sense, does it? Right? And that's not something we hold against them, but it's something that we should acknowledge. The people who are going to understand the Word of God have to be filled by the Spirit of God. All right, quickly follow with me here this morning. Some of the other things that the Scriptures teach us about those who are dead. Dead people, spiritually dead people, are led by the world's way of thinking. And sometimes Christians are as well when they get away from the Lord. Spiritually dead people are being challenged by the ruler of the authority or the prince of the power of the air, as the King James says. Satan himself is the spirit who will operate and work on lost people. Remember last week we saw the, the snake in the grass, right? The snake in the tree, if you will. He is subtle. Did God really say? Right? And he does the same tactics today. Now here's that reminder from Paul right in the passage that we're making our way through here in Ephesians. We all had this lifestyle at one time. Who's the best person in the room? Go ahead, raise your hand. Some of you are pretty good. I'm going to be real honest. 
Some of you are really good because you're way better than me. How many of you never had a spanking growing up? Don't raise your hand. That would be way too embarrassing. I got my fair share. I got a bunch. Okay, Probably not enough, some people would say. I think there's a few people in the room here today that really probably never got a spanking. They were probably pretty good. right? My friend Rick Crittemeyer always drove me crazy because he never got a whipping his whole life. And I don't really think he needed one. <laughs> he, like, he was just like this good guy. But the reminder here is that even Rick, even my really great friend, still had his own desires of lost things and depravity and sin. And as a spiritually dead person, he needed the Lord. Paul reminds us we all had a lifestyle at this one time. Not that we were all doing the same sins, but we were all spiritually dead, doing our desires, following our own thoughts. Now, I want you to notice this. (laughs) Paul in this passage has the phrase that we as Christians do not do these desires anymore. We used to do. And again, as we saw in 1 John this morning in our Sunday school, it's a pattern of living. It's not a one-time sin. Everybody in this room as a Christian will still fail the Lord from time to time. But what is your pattern? Hopefully your pattern is submission and repentance, right? Hopefully when you encounter sin in your life, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry I messed up, Lord. Please forgive me and help me overcome. Not like, oh, I'm just going to stick that in my little box and God won't see that. As Christians, that's what we used to do. And that's an important phrase that we keep in our mind today. Again, have you been changed? A few more phrases. We were children of God's wrath by nature. We were born in sin, born with rebellion towards God in our hearts. And God's wrath will be poured out on sin and sinners. Again, not my words. You're looking at the passage just like I am. We need a way out of this mess, but we can't make it on our own. We are desperate for help. We need a resurrection i put down in the slides here break out the paddles right you've probably been in the news this week again with Bronnie james and damar hanlon right i mean damar hanlon was dead that that man was dead and they brought him to life again right well without jesus we're dead spiritually and we need the lord to break out the paddles let me give you a quick illustration here this morning when a pastor named michael was still in seminary he took a required course in clinical pastoral education. Each seminarian was assigned to be a chaplain in a hospital or other institution, and one night each week was on call for emergencies. Late one night, the phone rang, and Michael was called to Alexian Brothers Medical Center in the Chicago suburbs. A 16-year-old girl had been driving at night with friends, and she had backed into a light pole, and the pole had broken off and then fallen forward, crashing down onto a car. A 12-year-old friend in the car had been severely injured. In fact, she was brain dead when she arrived at the hospital. Michael walked with the 12-year-old's family as they went through the wrenching process of realizing the truth and allowing the life support to be removed. The following morning, Michael visited the hospital room of the 16-year-old driver. Physically, she was recovering well, but emotionally, she was distraught knowing that her actions had killed her friend. I'm going to be like a daughter to her parents, she told Michael. I'm going to go over to their house every day. I'm going to babysit for them. I'm going to wash dishes for them every night. I'll go over there every week. I'm going to mow their lawn. And Michael gradually helped her realize the truth that no matter what she did, she could never replace their daughter. She could never do enough to make up for her actions. 
All she could do was ask for forgiveness and hope that the parents would find it in their hearts to forgive her. The parents who lost their daughter amazingly did forgive this girl. She was set free from trying to pay back a debt she could never repay no matter what she did. In our relationship to God, we have sinned so greatly that nothing we could ever do could make up for it. But there is a way out. God is willing to forgive, so much so that he sent his son to die. <laughs> Isn't that good? Some of you have been trying to earn your way back to God. I'll do the dishes. I'll mow the lawn. I'll, I'll make it up, right? Only we do it different ways, don't we? I'll read my Bible. I'll go to church. I'll give money to the poor. I'll go to the nursing home. I'll go to the food pantry. I'll help the immigrant. I'll, I'll go hold a sign over this place. I'll give money to these things. And you can do that till you're blue in the face, but you will not find redemption that way. The only way is for you to be forgiven, and the only way for that is through Jesus. And so verse 4, one of the best verses in the whole Bible, right? What does it say? But, you remember you were dead in trespasses and sins, under the wrath of God, but because of his great love for us, God. But, God. Is that your story today? That's my story. But God, Mr. Penn up here is a hot mess. He's still a hot mess. <laughs> but he's an even worse mess because he's just choosing himself. He's not serving other people. He's living for all he can get. And when it's done, it's done. That's who I would be except for God. But God. Look with me again there in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Is that one of the best phrases in the word of God? <laughs> Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, and you guys know these by heart. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, right? But God, I'm telling you, the Lord wrecked me over last week's message. It probably wasn't for any of you. It was for me. And I walked away from that like, I have to know who God is better. Because one of my main responsibilities is to help you see the Holy One high and lifted up. But how can I help you if I can't describe him? How are you going to know it better, right? Hopefully you'll worship on your own, but I've got to do a better job. And so the Lord has been challenging me that we need a clearer picture of the Holy One. Who is he? Did you notice how verse 4 is? It isn't but God and then all about us. It's a description of the things of God first. But because of his great what? His great love. Anybody love you today? Right. Wendy said something to me this morning. Really kind of, it really made me think. She said that for LeBron James, this last week was probably one of the scariest moments of his entire life. Because that man has been no fear for so long. But 
his great love for his son is where he is vulnerable, right? How much does God love you? So one of the attributes, one of the ways that we can lift up the holy God is to let people know that the holy God loves you so much so that he gave his son. So many people think the holy God's up there with lightning bolts and causing people to have pain and sorrow and trauma and suffering, but the holy God loves you. It's why he gave his son for you. That's who he is. He is great in his love for us. He is rich in what? Mercy, right? Aren't you thankful the Lord is rich in mercy? I'll be honest, I'm thankful my own dad is rich in mercy, that I'm not dead <laughs> because of it, right? What I deserve for the things I did in the way that I was, and yet my father was merciful to me even though I deserve much more. How much more my heavenly father is merciful to me. Who is our God? He is great in his love and he's rich in his mercy, right? Lifting up the holy God. Let people know that God is merciful. Again, a lot of people don't recognize that about who the Lord is. He is loving and it loves us, the scripture says here, with a great love. So much so that even when we were dead, he resurrected us through Christ. Right? What's Romans chapter 5 verse 8 say? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? I love that whole passage. Right? The idea of, well, maybe for a, a good one, good man, somebody might die. Peradventure for a, a righteous man, someone might die. But God loved us while we were still sinners. He died for us. Right? What's that tell you? Can you earn your way to God? Here's the thing. You're not going to believe this, but all this is about God. It's not about you. You think it's about you. It isn't about you. It's about who he is and what he does and the love he has for us. He has raised us with Christ and provided righteousness which allows us to sit with him in heaven. And he did this to show the exceeding incomparable riches of his grace. It's not about you. It's about who he is and what he has done. An inexhaustible supply for all ages to come. The Lord's grace is there. Real quickly from Philip Yancey. I just love this. In a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey recounts the story of C.S. Lewis. He says, during a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began to eliminate possibilities. Incarnation, you know, Jesus coming from heaven to earth. Well, other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection. Again, there are still a few religions that had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked. And he heard in a reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. <laughs> After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim Code of Law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. That is awesome. This morning, that, that phrase that Rick had up there on the screen, right? What about holiness? If you think holiness is your way to earn God's approval, it's still about you. That's legalism. But if you think holiness 
is a way that you want to go and extend and display your love for God and you do it with joy, that's holiness, right? It's, again, the idea is grace. Those who know their unworthiness seize grace as a hungry man seizes bread. The self-righteous resent grace, don't they? Why do the self-righteous resent grace? Why? Because they're earning it, right? Well, I, I, I mean, wearing a tie today, so I'm much more holy than you. I don't usually wear a tie for those of you that don't know. Right? Well, I don't use that kind of language. Well, I won't be seen in those kind of places. Well, I, I've never taken that kind of, I've never treated my friend that, well, I, when you are earning your way to God, you hate grace, don't you? Because that means that somebody else is going to be just as high as you are in the competition. Right? You ever been part of a competition and you didn't know it? Wendy does that a lot of times when we're driving. She'll race me home somewhere and say, oh, I won. I'm like, I didn't know we were competing. Right? That's the way sometimes it is, is that people that have experienced grace, they don't realize that the people around them who are judging them think that they're, this is some sort of competition. When I love that quote. When you are a hungry person starving for rescue and salvation, you seize grace like a hungry man goes for bread. You're not worried about how you compare to other people. You're just thankful for the love of God and that it has changed your life. Amen? All right. We're wrapping up this morning, but again, I want you to see these things clearly. All of these things come uh, through faith, and I think that's such an important thing for us to grab hold of this morning. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Salvation is not of ourselves. It is given as a gift. Isaiah will make fun of me again, but I keep saying it all the time because it's my story. Whenever I became a Christian, six-year-old little boy, my dad pulled out an ink pen out of his Bible, and he said, if you want this ink pen, what do you have to do? I don't know. Just take it. <laughs> and he's like, yes, you don't earn it. And again, the message we have to get to the people that we love is salvation is not something you do by good deeds. You can't do that. It is a gift. Again, what's the passage say? For by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. What is this uh, faith? And, and I've expressed it this way before. I hope this makes sense to you today. To me, the idea of faith, some people would treat faith almost as a work. Like I said, a certain prayer or I believed a certain set of doctrines. But faith is a, like a baby crying for help. And then the, the parent comes in to help the baby, right? Faith is enough of a belief that there is a God out there and I need help. And does the baby then say after the parent comes and provides it food and comfort and nurture, it says, man, that was some of the best crying I've ever done. Did you see how quick they came to help me out? I just have an incredible cry. I'm awesome at that. <laughs> That's sometimes what believers do. Did you see my faith? Man, God acted because I did this. It ain't about you. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this, the whole thing, it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one should boast. If it's not about grace, we're all boasting, right? Different levels. I'm better than you. I can do this better. I can do th the Lord made a level playing field. It is based on grace so that no one can boast. Now, 
right at the very end, verse 10, he does say this reminder to us. You've been created to be God's workmanship unto what? Good works. Right? Is Paul telling the church at Ephesus, ah, you don't have to worry about doing things. Just go live how you want. God saved you. <laughs> no. Here's the thing. When a heart has been changed, what's it want to do? It wants to serve. It wants to do good things for God. You were created to be his. I love this, and I don't throw Greek on it too much, but the, the, the Greek word here is poema. And literally, it means masterpiece. How would you like to be a masterpiece? Uh, some of you are already looking like, no way, preacher, I ain't no masterpiece. <laughs> right? Have you seen, my, you seen what I'm able to do? you seen what I look like? you seen my skill set? No, 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 no. And the Lord says to you today, I hope you hear him clearly. Remember, this is the one who is great in love and rich in mercy. He says, you are my masterpiece. You are my super fancy poem, if you will, if you want to transliterate it that way. I have created you for good things and good works. How good is that? Right? You think you're done? You think God's done with you? Some of you in this room think God is done with you because you can't do what you used to do when you were 20 or 30. And I'm telling you, God's not done with you. You are his masterpiece. He made you for good works. How much good work can you do praying to the Lord? As long as you can pray, you can do incredible things, maybe more than we will ever do with our physical ability. We don't believe that, do we? But Scripture teaches that. You are his masterpiece. Again, this week, think about how I can strive for holiness, not about me being legalistic in my do's and don'ts, but about pleasing the Lord. Okay, last illustration this morning. Author Max Lucado, he writes, all of us occasionally do what is right. A few predominantly do what is right, but do any of us always do what is right? According to Paul, we do not. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3. Some may beg to differ. Well, I'm not perfect, Max, but I'm better than most folks. I've led a good life. I don't break the rules. I don't break hearts. I help people. I like people. Compared to others, I think I could say I'm a righteous person. Max says, I used to try that with my mom. She'd tell me that my room wasn't clean, and I'd ask her to go with me to my brother's room. You ever tried that, Jacob? Maybe that worked. His was always messier than mine. See, my room is clean. Just look at his room. But it never worked because she'd walk me down the hall to her room. When it came to tidy rooms, my mom was righteous. Her closet was just right. Her bed was just right. Her bathroom was just right. Compared to hers, my room was, well, just wrong. She would show me her room and say, this is what I mean by clean. And God does the same. He points to himself and he says, this is what I mean by righteousness. Simply today, have you recognized your need for the Savior? If you're still trying to do it on your own, you're not going to cut it. Do you still think you're good enough on your own merits? Have you realized that pretty good is not good enough? And are you ready to take hold of grace like a hungry man? Or are you still trying to impress God or others with your own works? Jesus' words, the book of John, chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whomever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. By grace through faith, he believed. Verse 25, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will. 
you are dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is great in love and rich in mercy, has raised you to life. Amen? Amen. Live that out this week. Share that with people that you love. Let them see that message in your life. Let's stand this morning.